Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 162. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Rosaland Weiborg Thu. I am gearing up for a big series I really do think my dear listeners will appreciate, but I am not quite ready for it. In the meantime, I wish to titillate you with another classic TSK standalone serial killer expose. Last episode brought us to the former French colony of Morocco. It is therefore apt that we tonight travel north across the Mediterranean Ocean and find ourselves in the great nation of France. In its capital city of Paris, a brutal and vile killer have been eluding justice for several decades. To the public and the victim's loved ones, he has always just been known as La Grelle, the pockmarked one. All anyone has had to go on is a pencil sketch of a young man with severe acne. But dedicated detectives, a mourning brother, and modern technology combined with some words from the killer himself, blew the case wide open. So join me, dear listener, as I present to you none other than François V. Lagrelle, the pockmarked one, serial killer of at least three human beings and rapist of several more. Fair warning, 
This episode contains graphic descriptions of crimes against children. As a father, it was especially difficult to write this episode. The depths of depravity some humans sink to is truly beyond comprehension. Enjoy. As always, I want to publicly thank my elite TSK Producers Club. Their names are Amy, Andrea, Boo, Brenda, Cassandra, Christy, Cody, Colleen, Connor, Corbin, Fawn, James G, James H, James S, Jared, Jennifer, Johnny, Juliet, Caitlin, Kathy, Kevin, Kylie, Libby, Lisa, Lisbeth, Marilyn, Meow, Nick, Operation BP, Reed, Russell, Sabina, Scortnia, Scott, Shauna, Sputnik, The Radio, Tim, Tony, Trent, and Val. You are the backbone of the Serial Killer Podcast. And without you, there would be no show. You have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. All TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash the serial killer podcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only $7.50 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don't miss out and join now. Des yeux qui font baisser les miens, un rire qui se perd sur sa bouche, voilà le portrait sans retouche de l'homme auquel j'appartiens. Quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en Imagine, if you will, dear listener, the city of Paris. For many, a magical place filled with legends such as Edith Piaf, Ernest Hemingway and his movable feast, Pablo Picasso, Vincent van Gogh, Amadeo Modigliani, and Coco Chanel. All gathering at smoke-filled jazz bars, sidewalk cafes, and in many ways defining Western 20th century culture. The city, known as the city of love for its romantic atmosphere and rich cultural allure, is a region of France that entices people from all over the world to come and experience the art, fashion, and cuisine for which it has become renowned. However, just as any place on earth, Paris too has its seedy underbelly. The darker side of the French capital features characters that does not invite pleasant daydreams, but living nightmares. The city has been home to serial killers such as the monster of Montmartre, 
the Beast of the Bastille, and of course Henri Desiré Lantrou and Dr. Marcel Petillon, whom my listeners will have an intimate knowledge of. However, among this rogue's gallery is a serial killer whose vicious crimes of rape and murder have sent shockwaves across contemporary France. In the City of Lights, the City of Love, a serial killer who has remained uncaught for over thirty-five years is finally about to be unmasked. The 19th arrondissement of Paris is one of the twenty arrondissements of the capital city of France. In spoken French, this arrondissement is referred to as Dix-Neuvème, the arrondissement known as Butte-Chaumont is situated on the right bank of the River Seine. It is crossed by two canals, the Canal Saint-Denis and the Canal Le Horn, which meet near the Parc de la Villette. Mixing the old French bohemianism and also the Parisian cosmopolitanism, the area includes two public parks, which is home to the uh, Site des Sciences de l'Industrie, a museum and exhibition centre, the Conservatoire de Paris, one of the most renowned music schools in Europe, the Cabaret Sauvage, the Zenith de Paris, and the Philharmonie de Paris, both part of the Site de la Musique. The murderous crimes of the pockmarked man came to light in May 1986 with the death of a young girl in this very area. On the morning of the 5th of May, 1986, 11-year-old Cécile Bloch was last seen leaving her home and heading off towards school. Cécile was a petite slender girl. She had fair skin, brown hair and brown eyes. She loved her family, her friends, going to school, and had a particular love for animals. It is known that she on this date entered the elevator of her family's apartment, located in one of the little streets of the 19th arrondissement. It was later discovered that the little Cécile did not attend school that day. Her mother, Suzanne, called home in the afternoon expecting her daughter to pick up the phone but no one answered. Mrs. Block then called the apartment's security and asked them to look for Cecile and see if she could be found anywhere near the apartment. The guard's search ended within the third basement of the residence, which was a disused room without light that usually served as storage for maintenance workers and employees of the residence. There, they came across the body of the young girl. She had been hidden under a piece of old carpet, lying on her stomach, feet facing the door. She was stripped naked below her waist, and there was clear evidence she had been raped. Semen stains were found on top of the girl's thigh. Her killer had stabbed her in the left side of the chest. However, the cause of death 
was pressure on the neck resulting from strangulation. In other words, the killer was not only motivated by pedophilic urges, but sadistic ones as well. The knife had been sliced into the young girl's body before her death, not after. It would have caused extreme pain and terror to the girl, who probably at the time already were under tremendous pressure and in the grips of utter horror of what was happening to her. The killer used no lube, and the girl as young as Cecile would have had her vaginal canal severely torn from the violent intrusion of her assailant. There would have been a lot of blood, but that seems to in no way have stopped the killer. After stabbing the girl, it seems the killer have reached his climax, pressing down on her neck hard as he violated her. The pressure exuded upon her neck would have caused pain from her face being ground into the concrete floor, but that would be nothing compared to the pain and terror from having her windpipe slowly crushed, feeling the burning of the lungs as no air came through, and the mounting pressure in her head as her brain became deprived of oxygen. Death would have been slow and painful, and the eleven-year-old girl was all alone, in the dark, being murdered by a complete stranger for absolutely no reason. It is a crime of almost unimaginable cruelty and depravity. Forensic investigators could find no fingerprints, meaning the perpetrator had worn gloves and came prepared that spring morning. It was noted that the elevators descended only to the second basement, meaning that access could only be made by taking a back staircase to access the third basement. It soon became apparent that the killer had made himself familiar with the neighborhood and had explored the entire apartment, setting up a trap in order to catch his victim. Cecile's father, Jean-Pierre, told police that he noticed the day before that the access door to the third basement had been kept open, blocked by a pack of cigarettes. Several residents, including Cecile and Jean-Pierre, had previously encountered a man in the elevator on the day of the murder. The girl's father, Jean-Pierre Bloch, said he saw, and I quote, a man who did not live in the building, and who did not show any reaction at our presence. End quote. Cecile's half-brother, Luc Richard, recalled seeing a man with pockmarked skin in the elevator that day. He described the man to police, and a composite sketch of the suspect was created. He was believed to be between 25 and 30 years old, around 185 meters in height, of athletic build, with brown hair and a face pockmarked from severe acne. He was dressed in a jacket, sneakers and jeans, looking a little dusty like a backpacker. Jean-Pierre said that the man spoke French without an accent, behaved like he was servile, and had a manner about him that might be described as passive-aggressive politeness. Years later, 
Jean-Pierre said he will always remember seeing the arms of his daughter bound, while a policeman held him back. He remembers calling for a doctor, and that a policeman was laughing at him, saying that was useless. The investigation soon uncovered two previous crimes that would be connected to the pockmarked man that occurred before the murder of Cecile Bloch. The first was the rape of a young girl on the 7th of April, 1986. An eight-year-old named Sarah A. was attacked by an unknown assailant at the Place de Vanetier. This square, inserted in the middle of a group of tower buildings, took the name of Venito Square on the 27th of July, 1972. It, like many other plazas in Paris, owes its name from the military campaigns of the famous French emperor Napoleon Bonaparte. Her attacker had attempted to strangle the young girl, and she was left for dead after being raped, but she had lost consciousness and managed to survive. DNA from this crime would later link it to the same suspect who murdered Cécile Bloch one month later. I think it is important dear listener, to not gloss over victims of serial killers who survive. Often they are put through ordeals that the rest of us cannot even imagine. The girl Sarah, at only eight, went through at an extremely young age something that probably haunts her for her entire life. The damage La Grelle inflicted upon little Sarah was extreme both physical and psychological. Only sheer luck saved the girl from dying from her wounds. The thought of the girl walking the streets of Paris for all those years following her attack, not knowing where her rapist was, who he was, or if he perhaps was watching her at that very moment, can bring a shiver down anyone's spine. Three days after attacking little Sarah, an eleven-year-old girl named Natalie M. was raped in the 13th arrondissement of Paris. Arrondissement, for my non-French listeners, means something like a city district. The 13th arrondissement, called Gobelin, is situated on the left bank of the River Seine. It is home to Paris's principal Asian community, the Quartier Asiatique, located in the southeast of the arrondissement in an area that contains many high-rise apartment buildings. The neighborhood features a high concentration of Chinese and Vietnamese businesses. Semen swabs taken from this crime scene would later prove that the same individual was responsible. However, before French police realized they had a potential emerging serial killer on the loose, the killer went dark, committing no more known crimes throughout the year 1986. Meanwhile, the composite sketch of the murderer hung on the wall of the criminal brigade of the Paris Judicial Police, so that the officers investigating the crime would never forget the face of the beast they were hunting. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serialkiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. On the evening of the 29th of April, 1987, two murders were committed by an unknown savage killer, or so detectives were led to believe by their inexplicable brutality. The bodies of a 38-year-old man and his 21-year-old German au pair were found at the Rue Saint-Croix de la Bretonnerie. This street lies in the 4th arrondissement. In spoken French, this arrondissement is referred to as Quatrième. It is governed locally, together with the 1st, 2nd and 3rd arrondissement, with which it forms the 1st sector of Paris. The area is also known as Hotel de Ville and is situated on the right bank of the River Seine. The fourth arrondissement contains the uh, Renaissance-era Paris City Hall, rebuilt between 1874 and 1882. It also contains the Renaissance Square of Place de Vosges, the overtly modern Pompidou Centre, and the lively southern part of the medieval district of Le Marais, which today is known for being the gay district of Paris. The eastern part of the Ile de la Cite, including the famed Notre-Dame de Paris, as well as the Ile Saint-Louis, are also included within the 4th arrondissement. In general, the area is known for its little streets, cafes and shops, but is often regarded by Parisians as expensive and congested. Gilles Politi was a night mechanic at the Roissy airport, whose body was found lying naked on his stomach 
on the bed in his room. His wrists and ankles were bound by belts stolen from his closet. The belts passed up to his neck and were held in place by a poker taken from the fireplace which formed a Spanish tourniquet. The babysitter, German national Irmgard Müller, was found in similar circumstances. Described in some news reports as being crucified, the young woman was lying naked on her back in a bunk bed, her arms spread into a cross, with a cord around her neck, her throat having been slit. Both of them had semen on their thighs. There was no sign of forced entry, or that a fight had taken place, so investigators wondered how the victims had been subdued by the killer. Police suspected that the killer could have been an occasional lover after it was learned that she wrote down a list of her many lovers in her diary. The majority of those on the list were questioned by investigators and cleared as suspects, all except one, Elijah Lorange, whose address was a squat house that was raised shortly after. He was considered a potential suspect, but it is unknown whether or not the gendarmerie questioned him as a suspect or followed up with their inquiry, clearing him of involvement. The semen collected from the scene was later tested and found to have originated from the same suspect who was responsible for the block murder and two previous attacks. Paris now had a bona fide serial killer on the loose. Throughout 1987, three more rapes were committed by the pockmarked man, Lagrelle, connected by DNA evidence. On the 11th of May, 1987, a 26-year-old German woman named Andrea S. was raped by the Lagrelle killer. In October, two further rapes were committed, one against a 29-year-old woman named Laurie C., and the other which occurred on the 26th of October against a 14-year-old girl named Marianne N. The latter was followed to her apartment and threatened with a handgun by an unknown man who forced his way into her home. The young teenager was undressed, tied up, and raped. A semen stain found on the bed would link this crime to the others. No further crimes are known to have been committed by the pockmarked man until the mid-1990s. It is unknown why there is such a large gap between the three rapes in 1987 and his further crimes in 1994. This could suggest the killer was incarcerated for similar but unrelated crimes. However, such a theory is speculation. It is possible the killer continued to kill, and his crimes remain either undetected or unconnected to the others in the series. Now, after careful research, I have found something that is not mentioned in most of the many news reports regarding La Grelle. One news source, however, refers to reports that state that as many as five girls aged from as young as six years old to ten 
were murdered from July 1983 to June 1987. If indeed these crimes were committed by Lagrelle, he would rank as the worst serial killer of children in modern French history. The pockmarked man resurfaced in 1994 when he committed what police suspect is either his fourth murder or tenth. On the 9th of June, 1994, a 19-year-old girl named Karin Leroy went missing in Mau. For the first time, the killer had operated outside of the city centre. Mo is a commune on the river Marne, in the Seine-et-Marne department of the Ile-de-France region in the greater metropolitan area of Paris. It lies 41.1 kilometers east-northeast of the centre of Paris. She was found dead on the 12th of July, 1994, in a grove on mont les maux approximately 10 kilometers east of the village of Meaux. Like the victims at Rue Saint-Croix de la Bretonnerie, Leroy was strangled by use of a Spanish tourniquet, a technique employed during the wartime to stop bleeding. This method was, however, used by the killer as a sadistic way to strangle his victim. The tourniquet is a device first used in antiquity. It has been praised or vilified throughout the ages, depending on what function it served. The method is quite simple. The killer looped a rope around Leroy's neck. Through the loop, at the back, he placed a stick or a rod of some kind. This he then slowly turned, tightening the rope around the neck, causing pain, and after a while, asphyxiation. It is a slow and gruesome way to kill someone. The term Spanish tourniquet is ancient, but can perhaps be traced to the Spanish using the garrote, a kind of mechanical tourniquet, to execute criminals and others. The Spanish, however, had a spike fixed in place towards the spine in the neck. As the tourniquet was tightened, the spike was driven into the spine and unconsciousness immediately followed before the condemned died of strangulation. Lagrelle's victims got no such reprieve and were slowly strangled to death, sometimes having their limbs broken backwards as the tourniquet was fastened to them as well. Sometime in the year 2000, another victim was found who gave an interview for the media channel France 3. Although she was not named in the article, Ingrid G., who was 11 years old at the time of the incident, became known as the girl from 1994. On the 29th of April, 1994, Ingrid was riding a bicycle during the early afternoon in Mitri Mori in Saint-Etmarin. Mitri Mori lies on the very edge of the city proper of Paris, between the city and the town of Meaux. She was approached by an unknown man who identified himself as a policeman 
and who then proceeded to handcuff her and bring the young girl to his car. Then he drove to an abandoned farm called Viera e Saclay in the Isson. Saclay lies on the other side of Paris from Mitrimori, to the southwest of the city. There she was bound to a radiator and forced by her captor to read pornographic comics. Ingrid said during the interview, and I quote, I had a lot of luck. I was calm, and I spoke to him, asked him questions. I think that this is what saved my life. End quote. The bravery of 11-year-old Ingrid is awe-inspiring. There she was, tied up, naked, forced to perform oral sex on a man threatening to kill her, then being brutally raped by the same man. Even so, despite extreme pain and humiliation and fear, she stayed calm and managed to thus also calm the killer. For some reason, after the killer had raped little Ingrid, he left her chained up to the radiator. There, luckily, she was found some time later by someone who had heard her screams for help. She managed to provide police with a description of the car the killer drove, identifying it as a Volvo. However, more than 10,000 Volvos, as described by Ingrid, were searched without success. A semen stain found on a Kleenex back in 1994 was extracted and analyzed in 1996. It produced a DNA sample linking this crime to the pockmarked man, none other than Lagrelle himself. From the survivors, authorities were able to pinpoint the specific modus operandi used by the killer. He would observe a victim and then approach and produce a badge, posing as a police officer. A psycho-criminalist named Michel Agrapart Delma said that to impress his victims, he had a police card, spoke police jargon, and was usually seen holding a walkie-talkie, before threatening the victim with a handgun and handcuffs. Agrapart Delma also stated that his pockmarked skin could come from treatments with antipsychotics, sedatives, or toxic substances. The assumption that pockmarked is or was an officer had been considered by investigators who had not ruled out such a possibility. Since 1995, the crimes of the pockmarked killer stopped abruptly and despite a treasure trove of evidence, including eyewitness testimony and physical DNA, the Brigade Criminelle of the 36 Kai the Orfervre had yet to discover his true identity. In May 1986, Luc Richard, Cecile Bloch's brother, contacted police. Richard had studied in both England and Belgium and worked as a biologist, having learned about new and emerging DNA techniques. He told investigators about a new technique 
that could more adequately identify a suspect based on the sperm, blood, hair and skin left behind at the crime scene. However, the judge overseeing the inquiry refused to allow such techniques to be used. He told Cecile's family that the case is no longer their concern. It was an affair of justice. Furthermore, the judge would not allow the Block family access to Cecile's file, only offering the reason that the parents did not have a lawyer. In 1989, Cecile's mother died during an accident, never knowing who murdered her daughter. In subsequent years, two other judges also declined to allow DNA analysis using the new techniques and refused permission to allow an analysis of sand found on Cecile's clothes. Four years after the murder of Cecile Block, the judge in charge of the case closed the investigation. It was not until 1996 that a new female judge ordered the case to be reopened and gave permission for DNA analysis to be done using the new techniques as suggested previously by Luc Richard. In 1998, forensic experts were able to link Cecile's case with that of Sarah A., who was raped in April 1986, the rape of Marianne N. in October 1987, and the attack on Ingrid G. in April 1994. Following further DNA analysis, they also linked the murders of Gilles and Irmgard to the La Grelle pockmarked man case. In 2015, the French police reopened the pockmarked case once again by the order of Judge Nathalie Turquet in an attempt to look for clues in confirming the identity of La Grelle. The suspect was likely to be in his 50s or 60s, and due to the increased media attention, it is possible he may have had his pockmarks removed through plastic surgery and the lack of recent crime could suggest he may have had started a family. As part of the increased attention the case had received, a documentary on the Cecile Bloch case was released on YouTube by French broadcaster Channel France 2. That same year, Luc Richard was interviewed by the Sud-West newspaper and talked about the suspect he saw on the day of his sister's death. Richard described the man he shared the lift with. I quote, He seemed very sure of himself. He spoke to me in an audacious manner, very polite, too much so. He said something to me along the lines of, Have a very, very, Good day. He spoke without an accent. End quote. Although it is generally believed the pockmarked man stopped killing from 1995 onwards, the French police investigating the case are attempting to link several unsolved murders that occurred between the late 1980s to the 2000s to the pockmarked killer. This includes the murder of Joanna Parrish, a British tutor and language student from Britain, who was murdered in the Burgundy region of France 
on the 17th of May 1990. However, the prime suspect in that case is Michel Fournier, a convicted serial killer known as the Beast of Ardennes. French police have yet to confirm nor deny any links so far. Despite a wealth of evidence that includes the killer's DNA, fingerprints, a composite sketch, and a clearly defined M.O. of posing as a policeman and performing strangulation on his victims, police were yet to apprehend a suspect. Investigators searched the files of current inmates based on the composite without success, and also analysed DNA to find the genealogical background of the killer, also without success. Some researchers had noticed similarities between the crimes of the pockmarked man and those of the Golden State Killer, a recently apprehended serial killer who was active in California and responsible for hundreds of crimes, ranging from burglary, rape, and serial murder. This rather loose link would prove to be nothing but grasping for straws. The ongoing investigation by the Paris Crime Squad had continued to search for La Grelle, and by mid-2021, they were looking into a new suspect, and there appeared to be signs that the mysterious killer could finally be unmasked. An investigating magistrate had recently sent out letters to 750 gendarmes stationed in the Paris region at the time. The topic of the letters was a retired former French military police officer. He had been summoned for questioning on the 24th of September in relation to the case and was ordered to surrender a DNA sample as part of the investigation. However, the 59-year-old former gendarme, named in the media as François V, failed to show up for the meeting. Then, on the 29th of September 2021, the body of a man was found in a rented apartment at a seaside resort in Gros du Rouen, near the southern city of Montpellier on the Mediterranean coast. Although few details were released or confirmed at that time, Le Parisien newspaper reported that François V was a former policeman attached to the French military and that at the time of his death he was married with two children. Along with his body, police found a suicide note in which he confessed to the La Grelle killings. In the letter, he explained that he was quote-unquote not well in life at the time of the murders. The note also described how he still experienced quote-unquote previous impulses, but added that he has since quote-unquote got himself together. The method of killing himself was far more humane than what he put his victims through. He took an overdose of what was probably sleeping pills. And so it was, dear listener, that on the 1st of October 2021, French media outlets reported that the dead man, 
now identified as François Verove, was indeed the serial killer known as the Pockmarked Man. His DNA was found to match that found at several of the crime scenes. He was responsible for the murders of Cécile Bloch, Gilles Politi, and Edemgard Müller, as well as the six rapes committed between 1986 and 1994. In some local reports, he has also been linked to the murder of Karin Leroy, most likely because of the similar modus operandi. It is unknown if he was involved in any other crimes. Didier Saban, a lawyer representing the families of the victims, said, and I quote, We won't ever know all the crimes Lagrelle committed. We had this conviction that he was either an officer or a gendarme, both from the violence he used against his victims and the tactics he adopted. End quote. The surviving victims all described the attacker as identifying himself as a policeman. Sometimes the pockmarked man would even present his card with the French tricolor on it. Mr. Saban said that now that his identity has been revealed and confirmed, he wants unsolved crimes to be reopened, in which DNA techniques were never used. Luc Richard, the brother of little Cécile, has previously described how the case has haunted him, saying he had lived with a great feeling of injustice. With the death of François Verove, that lack of justice might never be rectified as Lagrelle has escaped retribution for his crimes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And with that, we come to the end of the saga of Francois Verove, the pockmarked one, La Grelle, pedophile, rapist, and serial killer. I hope you enjoyed listening to me telling it to you. Next episode, number 163 in number, will feature a brand new serial killer series. So as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. Finally, I wish to thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you like this podcast, you can support it by donating on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts facebook.com slash the SK podcast or by posting on the subreddit the SK podcast thank you good night and good luck good luck